On episode 584 of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Juliet and Kelly Starrett and discuss their book, Built to Move, the 10 essential habits to help you move freely and live fully. You can find the full show notes for this episode at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 584. Have you decided you're ready to make a change? To reclaim your health and fitness, the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast is here for you. Each week, we dive deep into health and fitness topics that affect those of us over 40. I'm Coach Allen. I'm an NASM certified personal trainer with specializations in corrective exercise, behavior change, performance enhancement, and fitness nutrition. A Precision Nutrition Level 1 coach, a FAI certified functional aging specialist, and an OTA Level 2 online trainer. Each week, I'm joined by our co-host, Coach Rachel. She is an NASM certified personal trainer and a RRCA Level 1 run coach. Let us be your coaches as you find your way on your health and fitness journey. All right, let's go. Are you looking for a chance to take your fitness to the next level? Do you dream of combining exercise and adventure in a tropical paradise? Look no further. The 40 Plus Fitness Retreat from May 29th to June 2nd in Bocas del Toro, Panama is just what you need. Imagine waking up to the sound of the waves surrounded by lush jungle and crystal clear waters. This program is designed to challenge your body and mind with daily fitness sessions, beach workouts, and guided hikes through the stunning scenery of Bocas del Toro. Led by coach Alan Meisner, the retreat is tailored to suit all levels of fitness and ability. You'll receive personalized coaching, nutritional guidance, and plenty of motivation to help you reach your fitness goals. But it's not all about hard work. Our retreat offers plenty of opportunities to relax and rejuvenate, unwind with a massage, or take a dip in the Caribbean water, or simply kick back and soak up the sun on the beach. Don't miss out on this chance to boost your fitness, meet like-minded people, and experience the natural beauty of Panama. Sign up today and start counting down the days until your dream fitness retreat. Spaces are limited, so act fast to secure your spot. Go to 40plusfitness.com forward slash retreat to book your place. See you in Bocas del Toro. Hey, Raz. Hey, Alan. How's the last few minutes of your life been? Oh, pretty quiet. <laughs> it's nice to be holed up here in my yeah. office. <laughs> yeah, we uh, our hello section, we, we're doing two episodes at the same time. So nothing's changed other than a few minutes on the clock since we did the last one. But just thought we'd take a moment to have our little hello session anyway. Mm -hmm. So Raz, you ready to have a conversation with Juliet and Kelly Starrett? Sure. Dr. Kelly Starrett is the co-author of the New York Times bestsellers, Becoming a Supple Leopard, Ready to Run, and the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Deskbound. He is also the co-founder of The Ready State and the co-founder of San Francisco CrossFit. He consults with athletes and coaches from the NFL, NBA, NHL, and MLB, the U.S. Olympic team, elite Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and Coast Guard forces, and consults with corporations on employee health and well-being. Juliette Starrett is an entrepreneur, attorney, author, and podcaster. She is the co-founder and CEO of The Ready State, the former co-founder and CEO of San Francisco CrossFit. 
She's the author of the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Deskbound, and was a professional whitewater paddler, winning three world championships and five national titles. With no further ado, here is Juliet and Kelly Starrett. Juliet, Kelly, welcome to 40 Plus Fitness. Thanks so much for having us, Alan. Thank you. Now, your book is called Built to Move, The 10 Essential Habits to Help You Move Freely and Live Fully. And the interesting thing was when the Become a Supple Leopard came out, loved the book. When the second edition of it came out, I bought it again and gave the first edition away. And then when Deskbound came out, I bought that. Those are both sitting on my bookshelf over here. And then this one comes out and I'm like, how did you write a better book than the best books that are already out there? And you guys did it. <laughs> you did it. This well, is awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We're really excited about it. Well, I think what you can see is some evolution in our thinking that we maybe have been very, very keen on our roots are high performance. That's where we came from. But as we've progressed and gotten a little bit more old or mature or wise, or our lives have caught up, we're looking around and seeing that we had to have a slightly different conversation because some of the things that we were talking about 10 years ago really haven't come to pass. And if we were going to take a crack honestly at saying, hey, fitness and wellness has left a lot of people behind. What does that look like to us? And what's important to us now as we start to crest 50? And it turns out that all of that experience has been integrated into this book. And if we were going to be honest, something that Julie and I talked about is that those other books really lacked this blueprint, this daily manual about how to go about your life. That was what was missing from our, our yeah, other writing. In some ways, we think of this book almost as a prequel to Supple Leopard Ooh. because... This is sort of, again, uh, you know, we think of them as base camp practices and Supple Leopard is sort of like the advanced class. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I always talk to my clients and we talk on this podcast that fitness is not CrossFit. I mean, CrossFit's great. I love CrossFit, but, you know, and they call that the fittest person on the earth when they do their competitions and that's great. <laughs> but for us, fitness is fit for task. So mm. it's being the best grandmother you can be. It's being out with your friends and feeling confident and comfortable that you can play tennis or pickleball. It's being late for the bus and having to take a little sprint there to catch the bus stop before the bus pulls away. You know, it's the things we do in our everyday life that is what real fitness is about. And I've always also said there's not a user manual for us, but built to move. Well, there it is. <laughs> You've basically yeah. given us the user's manual for how to move our bodies and if our bodies are not moving the way they're supposed to, we can evaluate and then we can do something about it. And that's the beautiful part of this. It's not just saying, here's your diagnosis. Right. Good luck. Um, <laughs> you know, your doctor says, eat less and move more. And you're like, oh, okay. But you guys are actually giving us more of a manual of how to do it and how to actually improve it. And if it's already working, how to keep it going, which again, I just think it's brilliant. Thank you. Well, and I really love how you're framing the idea of fitness. And, you know, one of the things we really wanted to do with this book is make it as accessible as possible. And one of the ways we frame fitness in our own minds is just simply being able to do the things you want to do physically for as long as you want to be able to do them. And that is really wide ranging, as you said. I mean, that can be just having the stamina to walk 25,000 steps with your grandchildren at Disneyland. Or that can be, you know, you want to be a 65-year-old triathlete. I mean, you know, it's very wide ranging, but I do think we've overly narrowed the definition of fitness to people think it is sort of like the CrossFit 
body or whatever that means. But to us, it's really much broader. And I think that's how our own thinking has evolved over the years. And let me say that one of the things that we know was the truth about some of our earlier work was that we had objective measures and our objective measures were your native range of motion. That's the underpinning of sort of our old work. What is it that everyone agrees the shoulder should be able to do? How can we get you back to those positions? And then the proof was in the output, the wattage, the poundage. And one of the things that we realized was that we hadn't given people clear objective measures or vital signs, physical vital signs around some of the other features of our behaviors, whether it's nutrition or sleep or walking or moving. So what we've done here is recognize that if anyone can know what decent blood pressure is, 120 over 80, that's not great blood pressure, but it knows it's a range where you're saying, hey, I need should pay attention or I need to make a change. And what we've tried to do in Bolt to Move is give people objective vital signs where you can say, hey, I have a newborn or I'm on a deadline and my sleep is awful, but I'm just below the vital sign line right now, this objective measure. And it gives you a place to say, I should pay attention to that or helps to inform you about some blind spots because frankly, people are working, you know, they're crazy. They're working hard and have complicated lives. I mean, to show them that it's not all or nothing. Yeah. And to kind of give folks an idea of what we're talking about from a range is you guys saw that commercial with the old man trying to lift up mm, his granddaughter. I ball every time I watch that. Me too. I've been watching, I think, thousands I mean, same times. Thing. I, I, me too. I watch it like three times a year and just yeah, cry my eyes out. I cry every time I see it. And you've got that. So the guy's just trying to lift up his granddaughter to put a star on the tree that he bought for her. And it's just that moment he's been training for. And to go as far as, as Juliet, your father, who's out there rafting and hiking and doing these things with his kids and keeping up with them. Yeah, it's hard, but he's doing it because he's at that level. This is a wide range of fitness that we get ourselves into at this age group. And so it's right for all of us. So I think that's what's really beautiful is this is not just something if you have bad movement patterns, this is a great book. This is even if you do, this is how you keep having those patterns and you keep moving well. Yeah. You know, one of the things that Juliet and I are fortunate enough to be in is a world of high performance sport. And we get to work with alongside a lot of super humans, men and women, and really complicated, amazing teams. And what we've realized is that our grounding is in this, this high performance, but that only is important because it informs us what good practice looks like. And part of what Juliet and I have been trying to do is say, hey, if sport and high-performance environments is a laboratory, and that's how we've kind of always viewed them, that if we don't actually apply that science to society and transform our communities, then that stuff is less important to the both of us. It's more, hey, circus and entertainment. And so we're really trying to sort of conjoin those behaviors. And one of the questions that we regularly ask, is, and you're pointing out, is how is it going? Are we being served by our current lab results? And it turns out that just about anything you care about probably is trending in the wrong direction globally or even nationally from diabetes to being overweight to depression, substance abuse, pain. And one of the things that we have come to realize is that the underpinnings of any high-performance environment is this book. And it's not diet and exercise. And what we're seeing is if we are going to, in fact, be 100 plus years old, which we're definitely trending towards more and more with with science and drugs and surgeries and all the things that are coming, we better think differently about how we're living our lives because the environment person sort of interaction is becoming a little bit more convoluted and complicated. And one thing I would add to that too is 
it is a myth that all of these high performers actually are mm. um, checking all the boxes as well. I think it's easy for those of us who are weekend warrior types to think, oh, okay, well, you know, the Starettes work with these elite athletes and they've checked every single box. And in some ways, because I think we have gotten so much more sophisticated in training, so much more knowledge is widely available thanks to the internet. We have this explosion of technology that can be applied to fitness that there's an assumption that all these high performers are getting the basics right. But in some ways, they're not. In fact, because of all this sophistication, they too have forgotten to focus on the basics. And so I think it's important for your listeners to know that the things that we are prescribing to do for weekend warriors, everyday movers are the exact same things we are actually prescribing for the highest performers to be doing as well. Yeah. Now, there was one thing that you brought up in the book that I think is really important because if you go into any bookstore and you start looking for fitness books that relate to people over 50, you're going to find the stretching books <laughs> because, you know, we've lost a lot of flexibility. We lost a lot of mobility. And so when you bring up mobilization or mobility training, which I bring up a lot, they default to this, oh, well, I already stretch before I do my workout and I stretch after my workout, therefore I'm covered. Can you kind of compare and contrast what is the difference between mobilization and stretching? May should I take a swing at this? Oh, yeah. I so, was expecting you would. <laughs> when, we, when people say stretching, it really is sort of a nebulous term. If I said diet, it can include traditional diets, paleo, juice cleanse, keto. It's a really nonspecific idea. And one of the things that we're trying to say with mobilizations that we're prescribing is that you are a complex, amazing systems-based human being. If you just feel tension in a muscle or a tissue, that's not necessarily making changes in that muscle or tissue. Because I think when what, what's happened is we've all known, hey, we should stretch, but we all don't know why, to what end, what is enough, and is it working? Because remember, the goal here is to restore our native range of motion. In fact, what we want everyone to be thinking about here is that your range of motion and ability to move freely has nothing to do with your age. It's the one aspect of your movement that sort of is age independent and age proof that it's more difficult to heal as you get a little bit older. We slow down, but we still heal, but it's slower. It's harder to keep muscle mass on. We know it's harder to change body composition, to lose those stubborn few pounds, but your range of motion, that's a really stable system. And what we know is that as we get older, maintaining our range of motion allows us to maintain movement options, movement solutions. Your balance will improve if you have better ankle range of motion. You are more likely to have fewer aches and pains if your hips do what hips are supposed to do. So what we're talking about in the mobilizations are saying, hey, here are some targeted techniques that we actually call in-house position transfer exercises. We're doing this slightly different variation on restoring what your tissue should do to a specific aim of restoring a range of motion you should already have. So you might stretch because it feels good, right? Like you just move your neck around, but we could think about stretching. If someone said, Hey, I go to yoga, isn't that enough? Well, yoga is a movement practice and you may feel tension in your musculature and tissues while you do that, but that may be an incomplete way of addressing a range of motion. So what we're trying to do with these mobilizations are introduce some other techniques like contract, relax, and some other sort of key concepts to help people 
be able to return to their native range of motion in a specific way. So this is more akin to an exercise that restores your range of motion than, hey, I'm passively pulling on something because someone told me this is good for me at one point in my life. Yeah. And it's sort of that concept. We do the stretching because we want it to prevent us from hurting ourselves. But the reality is it's mobilization and being able to move through the full range of motion that allows our body to do the things it's supposed to do so we don't get injured. And what you're bringing up is a really important thing. Oftentimes when people come, I think when we were working with younger populations and we were earlier in our careers, 15, 20 years ago, we were using these sets of mobilizations and ideas of restoring how your tissues slide and glide and what your joints do, we were using them to restore positions so that our athletes could go out and win world championships. That's great. But that has nothing to do with me as a 50-year-old man. And what it turns out is that those same mobilizations oftentimes can be employed to return my, again, native range of motion. What is it my body should be able to do? Everyone agrees that this is what your shoulder should be able to do. Every physical therapist, every doctor, every surgeon, right? There are these native ranges to every human, not gymnast ranges. I'm not talking about that would be nice, but that's not the reality. And what we saw was that when people had pain or stiffness, one of the easiest things we could do was do something to change their physiology. So by getting some input into the tissues that was different than just tension and stretching, we saw that sometimes that was enough to restore or change how their brain was thinking about the tissue. So suddenly that pain didn't mean I was injured. My body was throwing up an error message and a mobilization was a simple way of turning that message off by changing some aspect of my tissue. Or by mobilizing, I was able to return or change or improve my range of motion. And my brain thought that was different. So we ended up realizing that we had this sort of spinning coin. And on one side was, let's return your positions so that you can do what you want to do. And the other side was, hey, I'm in pain. Well, what can I do about it? I can restore my positions and own my shapes and own how my tissues move. And that may be enough to get me out of pain or change how my brain was perceiving what's going on in my body. And one of the things we're really trying to change the perception about in this book, and I think this is particularly relevant for those of us over 40 who do suffer from you know aches and pains because we're trying to use and move our bodies, is that, and Kelly alluded to this a little bit, but pain doesn't necessarily mean you're injured. And I think that's where people often go in their minds like, oh, I have knee pain, I'm injured. And one of the things we're trying to be evangelist about is Hey, you know, before you take time off work and get seven MRIs and go see 12 chiropractors and and physical therapists, you really can take a crack at some basic soft tissue and mobility work and really potentially affect change in your own body. And I'll give you an example. You know, I can't tell you how many people we've had come to Kelly saying, Oh my God, I have knee pain. Should I go get an MRI? And I should probably go see the orthopedist. And you know, we call I, this the pain spiral, and it's yeah, very and, common. And it sort of leads to this medical intervention situation that often ends in a physician not seeing anything on an MRI, and instead just telling that person, "Well, you should stop doing what's hurting." So you know, you may love running; it may bring you joy, but you definitely should stop doing that, which is not what people want to hear. Instead. You know, we're able to say, hey, look, you know, your knee is a system connected above and below with muscles and tons of soft tissue and connective tissue. And 
I can't tell you how many people we've said, Hey, you know, you need to spend seven days doing soft tissue work on your quads and your calves. 10 minutes a day. um, That are connected to your knee. And people are blown away. Like they don't believe us at first that it's going to make a change in their knee pain because they think for sure they're injured. And so one of the things we're trying to do, and we do have some sort of pain toolkits in this book is to try to reframe thinking a little bit such that if you do have aches and pains in your joints and shoulders, there obviously will be a time at which it's totally appropriate to go see a physician, but maybe that shouldn't be your first course of action. Maybe you take 10 minutes for a few days to just see if you can make change because the amount of people we've been able to see who can is astounding. And if I may just jump in there, the other side of that is that people fail to appreciate that the environment, the lifestyle decisions we make influence how regular and how tough and durable our tissues are and how our brains perceive what's happening in our bodies. So one of the first conversations we have with anyone when we're dealing with acute injury or chronic injury or persistent pain is we actually look at their sleep. And then what we know is that if you're a stressed person who's getting less than seven hours of sleep a night, we know that that is not helping you sort of calm this ringing bell down. And that if you want to heal, change your body composition, grow, put on muscle, get skinnier, whatever your goal is, it turns out eight is a really magic number. So the rest of the book, it seems like, and this is what's really confusing, I think, about how we presented fitness and wellness to people is that we are a system and that my moving during the day affects my sleep and my sleep quality and sleep density. But if I can sleep more, I can oftentimes heal more effectively or even just get my brain to stop being so twitchy and freaked out and perceive my body as a threat. So if pain is a request for change, we want to sort of expand what that means. Well, hey, we can work locally and change some aspect of your tissue, get some different input, but also let's look at these other things that may be contributing to a system that sort of has a blanket on it. And in the book, you kind of identify basically as that. It's like, okay, here are some things and you have 10 vital signs is what you call them vital signs, but they're basically checks to kind of do that check-in with yourself. How am I doing with this? How am I doing with that? And it's not subjective. In some cases, it's a little subjective, but in a general sense, you've put measurements. You said, okay, let's try to do this and see how you do. And then from there, we kind of have an assessment of where we stand. And that's always a good thing because when we talk about goals, you know, you've got to have a measurement. You got to know when you're successful, all those different things that go into writing a really good goal. This is the perfect start, the perfect benchmark, and then the tool that makes that stuff happen. So we sound complicated when we start talking about tissue and moving and this and that. And okay, if it's my knees hurting, how could it actually be my hips that's causing this? And so that's the hard part that you guys have worked out is you do these assessments, you have a better understanding of where you stand, you do the exercises, the pain goes away, your movement improves, and all of these things, all 10 of them, they literally build on each other to form a platform for you to be a better human, to move better, to live that life fully that we talked about all the way through the century mark. And so can you go through just briefly and kind of talk about each of the 10 vital signs you have in the book, a little bit about why they're important, each of them's important, and then a little bit about how we could kind of maybe assess them and understand where our weaknesses and strengths are, and then just kind of how to put it all together. Before we jump into that, I just want to appreciate that the most important part of the book is something that Juliet and I came to work and understand 
working with people who are very busy. So if we went to the Marine Aviation Weapons Tactical School, which is a very intense program where they're teaching marine aviation, advanced techniques, no one is sleeping. So if we walked in and said, sleep more, you know, <laughs> that's not, that's not a solution. Not helpful. <laughs> and if we had busy working parents with young people and we said, Hey, we need you to spend an hour a day, at the end of your day, doing this checklist of things. We also saw that that was impossible for people. And so Juliet and I spent the better part of the last decade coming up with something we call the 24-hour duty cycle. And this is important in context because what I want everyone to understand is you don't have to run this perfect checklist. We've really started to conceive that behavior change starts when, when are you going to have some control and agency? When are you going to fit this into your life? So it's yet not another thing you've got to get done. And our motto around the house is, let's be consistent before we're heroic. And if we don't help people conceptualize where they can sort of layer or feather these things into their lives, it's not going to make a change. So that's the first thing I want people to understand about the book is that it's a really easy starting place to begin to make fundamental changes. And let me give you an example. If we look at the first vital sign of getting up and down off the floor without your hands, it's really a sneaky vital sign about looking at hip flexion and what your hips should be able to do. But the easiest expression of that is can you sit cross-legged and get up and down off the floor without using your hands or putting a knee down? And that's not a strength issue. And it's definitely not a big range of motion. I don't need to be a gymnast to sit crisscross applesauce. But one of the easiest ways to begin to change that is to say, hey, I'm going to watch TV tonight and sit on the ground for 10 minutes while I'm watching TV. And every time I get uncomfortable, I'm going to fidget. So if most of us are watching TV in the evenings, for which a few we minutes, are, right? We're watching news, we're getting <laughs> caught up, we're, we're self regulating, we're, we're calming down. All we need you to do is get onto the floor and lean up against your couch. And you've already begun to change your behavior, which is putting range of motion into your hips, you're changing shapes, and you're going to have to get up and down off the floor before you go to bed or get that snack or something else. Or just and sleep so right there. Is, that's right. <laughs> We've constrained the environment. We've shaped a behavior without having to make another choice. And that's one of the things we're really trying to do here. And you know, one interesting note from a data perspective on this particular vital sign, which is get up off the floor. And it's the first one we put in the book in part because it's kind of a fun test to do. And you know, you can get your whole family involved. And I think you learn really quickly where you are when you do that test. But one of the things we know is that in countries where people sleep and toilet on the floor, they suffer from much fewer low back pain, orthopedic injuries, hip replacements, knee replacements. And fall risk and goes fall down. fall risk, which everybody knows once you fall, especially as an elderly person, that's sort of the beginning of the end. And so there's some really interesting data behind it. But what we love about this particular vital sign is that it is so easy to immediately get some information about how your body's working. And then it's also the practices that we have around it, one of which literally is sitting on the floor more often while you watch television. And we know also from data that everybody is watching quite a bit of television a day. It's just an easy way to fit it into literally any busy life. And just to add a little bit of further context to what Kelly said, and I think it's important on these vital signs. I mean, we spent a lot of years thinking about which ones we did and did not want to include in this book. And the ultimate question for us is, what do we do? We are users. We are busy parents of two kids and we work full-time jobs. And we are 
like normal people. We're not fitness people that spend 24 hours a day making Instagram videos about our abs. Like that's not what our life is like. Um, I would so, like to have making yeah. 24 hours. <laughs> but you know, we are users and these are the basic practices, all 10 of these vital signs that we actually are focused on implementing in our own lives. And so getting off the floor is the first one. I believe our second vital sign is breathing. And people have started to, I think, get some concept of the importance of a breath practice. You know, people have heard of Wim Hof, cold therapy plus breathing. But interestingly, as people may or may not know, Kelly's a physical therapist. And when he has a client come in, especially a client that is complaining of low back pain, which is a very common problem, and I'm sure many of your listeners have or have had, the first order of business Kelly does with them is work on their breathing. And we find it to be so critical in terms of how your body functions and also how your brain can think about and manage things like pain. What's interesting is, again, instead of saying, okay, now here's another practice that you have to do, what, what are you going to kick out? You're going to kick out you know, making breakfast for your kids so you can do a breathing practice. What we are trying to say is we've got something called a blood oxygen level test, the Bolt test in there. And it's popularized by a really brilliant thinker named Patrick McCone. And he is oxygen advantage. And it's a simple idea of understanding how CO2 tolerant we are. So hang on in there, everyone. Remember that Juliet and I are really obsessed with being old and, and maintaining the things that we love to do as long as we can. But the other side of that is that we realize that we never have to have a compromise between being durable and longevity and performance. When we focus on helping the body do what it should do and improve its capacities, it turns out you can play more pickleball. And you can do that spin class or whatever it is you like to do more effectively. And one of the things that I think is misunderstood about sort of some of our breathing traditions like yoga or meditation is sometimes we didn't always appreciate the impacts on the physiology. And that when I could get someone to breathe and do some breath practices, one of the things that we know, for example, is that you can strip off more oxygen off of the hemoglobin. Remember that blood is carrying oxygen. But the mechanism by which that oxygen comes off that blood cell is actually driven by your CO2 levels, the carbon dioxide gas. And so the more I can get my brain comfortable with having higher CO2 levels in the bloodstream, because the CO2 is what triggers me to breathe, suddenly what we see is that you can actually access more oxygen, which means it's easier to go upstairs, which means if I have pneumonia or emphysema, or I'm dealing with a chronic condition, or I want to hike more effectively and destroy the people in my hiking club or my bike group. I'm talking about, this is the conversation we've had with our elite Tour de France cyclists, that this same idea of, hey, let's improve the efficiency of the system ends up going a long ways, but it also improves how well your rib cage moves and it improves how well you can take a big breath, which changes your VO2 max and makes it easier for you to move and balance and put your arms over your head. So when we start to see breathing, not as a meditation alone practice, but as a mechanical practice, it's shocking the impacts that it has downstream. And just a note on the practices in our breathing chapter. And again, because our whole focus has been, how can we fit this into our lives without adding another hour long breathing meditation practice? We recommend, and we are inspired of course, by Jacob Nestor's amazing book, Breathe. 
that one of our future chapters that we can discuss is walking more. And so we don't have a separate breathing practice. We suggest that while you're walking more, you actually just practice nose only breathing. Or one of the things we do a lot in our own practices, whenever we're exercising, part of our warm up is just to work on a little bit of breath practice during our warm up. So again, it's not an added new practice. It's something that we're conscious of, we know the importance of, but we're figuring out how to just layer it into other things we're already doing and just bring an awareness to it. So we obviously are huge fans of walking and adding in generally more movement in the day. And so the time when I practice most of my nose only mouth closed, conscious breathing is while I'm walking. What you can start to see in the book is that almost the book is split into sort of two categories. One of them, for example, on another vital sign is extend your hips. We're really trying to look at hip extension, which is my ability to walk and bring my knee behind my butt like I was in a lunge position. Because of the amount of time we're spending sitting, because of just the nature of being a human in today's world, we've seen that this inability or loss of capacity or loss of freedom to put the hip behind us ends up with a phenomenon called tail wagging the dog, where as soon as my leg starts to come behind me, it ends up taking my pelvis with it just because I'm a little bit stiff in that lunge position. And if you look at any of our movement traditions like Pilates or yoga, they are obsessed with hip extension. If you look at our sprinting and some of those practices, they're obsessed with hip extension. So I'd like to be known as the knees behind butt guy. And the idea is that we find that when we're managing, again, restoring what the body can do, and we have something in a test called the couch stretch, which if you follow our work, you know, is the arch nemesis of every human being. But the idea is it's just, hey, let's take this leg into some extension and challenge the tissues here. And what we find is that ironically, just by improving the shape, we often see commensurate changes in pain around the knee or people's low back starts to feel better and they can go up the stairs, run, get into lunges more effectively, have more movement choice. And again, what we're seeing is that part of the book is saying, here are some objective measures, like putting your arms over your head, being able to sort of take a breath, looking at balance. And then some end up being very much around the behaviors that make a robust person, like nutrition, like sleep, like not sitting too much. And so I think what ends up happening in these vital signs, so we don't just kill people with boredom over all the 10, is is you take the ones that were uh, maybe a blind spot for you. And we can see, was that sort of a behavior or was that a movement behavior? Was that a way I was living my life? Or, hey, I didn't realize this is something I didn't have access to. And just one quick backstory on that. I mean, we really backed into what we call sort of these lifestyle conversations. And you know, from reading our other book, Deskbound, we never set out to be like the standing desk people or the walking people. It's not that sexy. It's way sexier to say that, you know, we work with the 49ers or something, but we've really backed into these lifestyle practices. Again, seeing that we've really just missed these base behaviors. People are in our neighborhood, moms and dads are saying, hey, should I be keto? Should I be taking what supplements should I be taking? And what we always go back to is the basics. We say, okay, wait a second, before you embark on some diet or start taking a bunch of supplements or buy some kind of pod that you sleep in at night, like, are you sleeping? Are you eating fruits and vegetables? Are you moving enough throughout your day? Can you move your body into the shapes that allow you to be able to do the things you want to do. If, if that's pickleball, great. And so we really did sort of back into the lifestyle side of this book. And again, also because these are the things that we've realized in order to feel good and be able to move the way we want to do, those are the things we have to prioritize in our own life. 
Yeah. And I think you said something that's really important there is, is you stack this stuff, which is really good about when you go through your 21 mm, day challenge, you stack this stuff and you say, okay, we're going to talk about walking, but at the same time you're walking, there's a breathing technique and there's some things you can do yes. to make both. I think everyone can relate to the fact that, you know, there's kind of this, this running joke amongst people that I know, I'm not getting on the floor until I have a plan to get back up. and so if you relate to that then there's something in this book for you the breathing i think it's kind of an interesting thing because a lot of us can relate to going up a flight of stairs and getting a little Mm. winded you know i'm carrying luggage and talking to my guests at our bed and breakfast sometimes when you're carrying about 50 60 pounds of luggage and you're going up a flight of stairs and you're talking you get to the top and you're kind of like wow i'm a little winded But instead of me going out there and saying, you know what I need to do is get up in the morning and run these stairs about 20 times so that I build up this endurance to do this stuff, a breathing technique of just getting my body used to taking in just a little bit more and holding carbon dioxide and being a little more comfortable with that is going to allow my body to use oxygen more efficiently. And I'm less likely to get winded walking up the stairs talking. And then for me, mobility is always been a struggle. And it's really a struggle because you spend the first 40 years of your life doing everything wrong. You know, if you're a bodybuilder, you know, you're not, well, you can do whatever you want. Let's be honest. That's the magic, (laughs) right? Well, you know, but the thing is you're training as a bodybuilder and it's like full extension is not what they teach you to do. They teach you to do tight and stay tight. So lengthening your hips because you sit all day, those types of things. As you kind of go through this, I think you're going to go through every vital sign and say, wow, that's important. Oh, that one's important too. Oh, I'm not eating like I'm going to live forever. I'm eating like Twinkies are going to go out and I'm not going to get another one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, you brought up something I think that's really great here. One is for talking about a movement practice or it essentially is can you be useful? Can you do what you want to do? Do you feel like, hey, I'm afraid to ride this bike or I'm having a hard time skiing because my hips are getting stiff? We have all these conversations. They're all on a continuum. The next question is, okay, what do I do about that? And the next question is, okay, when do I do that? And then how do I get consistent in that, right? Well, if I schedule yoga and I go yoga every two weeks, that's probably an incomplete solution. We think that that's great. Go do yoga. Go. It's a movement practice, breath. It's fantastic. Tons of end range isometrics built in there. But what we'd rather you do is spend the last 10 minutes of the day when you actually have some control in your life or in the evening towards the end of the day, getting on the ground or working on a tissue or working on a position. And what we found clinically was that if we said, okay, take off your shoes, hike up your dress at work, get on the ground in the office, no one's doing that. That's crazy. But if I said, hey, once you're down, you know, shifted a little bit at home, put the roller or a ball next to the TV, next to your coffee table. And let's spend and ask ourselves, what feels stiff? What feels tight? What haven't I done? Where did I work today? What's kind of barking at me a little bit? And now we've connected a soft tissue mobilization practice with what's really happened with someone in the day. And we've done it in a way that they can be really consistent at it. Because we saw that 10 minutes ended up being a really sort of critical mark. If I said 15 minutes or 20 minutes, out the door. People are like, I'm out. Yeah. But 10 minutes, everyone has 10 minutes. And you can do a lot of other things while you're doing that. You could do a breath practice. You could just zone out and watch TV. But if you spent that 10 minutes and you aggregated that five or seven days a week, a month, two, it's pretty transformational. So you really brought up this important idea of, hey, I need some additional inputs. Why? To maintain my range of motion. And if something is good, then I don't need to work on it because that's sort of above the minimum. 
But some other area where I've sort of can test myself or see what's going on or even ask what's sore or what wasn't I able to do today, what we found is that when people made that commitment to just 10 minutes with a simple set of tools, like a foam pool tool, you know, noodle or roll on a ball of wine, whatever it is you need to do, we saw that we could actually impact how they felt and impact how they move. Another saying we have around the shop is athletes that feel better perform better human beings that feel better have better lives. So I think that's a really important piece that you bring up there. And you know, one of the things we do on this, encouraging people to actually do these things, which are difficult to do, again, because we all have busy lives. And sometimes that one thing is just one too many things is we do this thing called peppering our environment, Yes, which we are huge fans of this idea. And if you came over to our house and saw our living room, because we love TV and we often end our night by sitting down and actually watching TV for an hour. Like it's a nice transition for us. And so if you look at our TV room, you will see that it is littered with lacrosse balls, foam rollers, different mobility tools. I recently bought these little like kind of yoga mats that you can sit on because we do a lot of sitting on the floor. And I realized that our floor was super uncomfortable and that was limiting the amount of time I want to sit on the floor. So I'm trying to take all these little micro steps to make these habits as easy as possible for me to actually do. We want you and to that, spend your willpower and, and doing that, really hard things. And, and I just wanted to not bring take in care of your body. one of the other vital signs we think is so important is underlooked, I think overall is balance. And it's one of the first things to go as people age. In fact, as we're cresting into 50, we're actually starting to have more and more friends who are reporting feeling that their balance is starting to go even as early as 50. And again, nobody is going to say, okay, let's go to a balance class for an hour. Nobody is going to do that. One of the things we do is pepper our environment. We have these little portable slack lines we keep around our kitchen called a, a slack block. And we have little balance tools in our garage, like an endo board. And we just have little tools around our house and at our desks at work so that we can incorporate things like a really simple balance practice into our day. Again, without adding on having to go somewhere, go to a class, yeah. add on a new behavior. It's just another stacking behavior. Even and, the test yeah. is a great daily practice that you don't have to do anything. And if you haven't ever seen the old man test, one of our friends, Chris Henshaw came up with this and he was an elite triathlete who was trying to come up with a task that he could beat his kids at. And they were such good athletes. And literally is stand on one leg, don't put your other leg down and put your socks and shoes on. Then stand on the other leg without ever touching the ground again, put your socks and shoes on. And if you just did that every day, if you just practiced in a year, you would spend hours working on your dynamic balance, trying to balance yeah, on one foot, everybody's put your socks and putting shoes their on. shoes and socks You're going to do it. Single day, so let's you know? just yeah. work this in. And now we've just taken that off the table. Holy crap. And you know, the other thing we've tried to do is make it fun because I think that's another thing yeah. that we've done a horrible job of in the fitness business is we've made it just so like drudgery where you've got to go to the gym and check these boxes. It's not fun. And just these little balance tools we have around the house are very playful and fun. And sitting on the ground with your kids at night and working on your mobility and practicing your balance. And we've just been in our living room with our own kids doing the old man test and it's hilarious and fun and we don't always make it. And so we've just sort of tried to add like an element of fun and play to this because 
Again, our thinking here is that a lot of what's out there in this space is about restriction. How can I restrict my diet and restrict the things I'm doing? And we want this book to be about expansion. In our nutrition chapter, for example, there's no restriction. Our nutrition suggestions are appropriate for any diet anyone follows, whether you're vegan or carnivore. But hold on. I challenge you to hit those two benchmarks. Good luck with that. We're trying to, you know, what people need is some expansion and less restriction. And, you know, in in our nutrition chapter, we're just saying, hey, you actually need probably need to eat more fruits and vegetables and And you're not getting enough protein. That's it. And, you know, it's... um, we're just trying to make it fun and accessible for people. And one of the things that you heard Juliet say was fun and accessibility. That happens in the functional unit of change or health, which is your home. So the second we bring in a physical therapist or a physician or some third party, that really removes our agency and our control. And what we know is that it doesn't work. It's not sufficient enough. Unless your physician and your dietitian and your physical therapist lives in your house, it's not going to happen. And so we see that this functional unit of change is the home. We call that's like a hyper-local object, hyper-local phenomenon. And that if you have a garage and a kitchen and you put your shoes on and suddenly you realize that your control around feeling better actually happens in your time under your demands and under sort of your watch. It's not an external piece. And that really is, feels like a revolution for people. Because it makes it accessible. You know, you're not having to pay those bills to go to the masseuse, go to the physical therapist, go to the orthopedic guy and get them to do what they do or chiropractor. And you're, you're not going to their place, limited time, limited exposure, limited attention, get this done. They give you the homework, this piece of paper with some pictures on it. And 99% of the time, they never look at that picture again. They never look at that paper again. The interesting thing that you've said, and it's kind of what brought this full circle for me is... I have this joke. It's not really a joke. It's actually real. But I say, I want to be able to wipe my own butt when I'm 105. And people Me think that's too, funny. Alan. Right. But people think, oh, 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 and then it starts to hit them. It's like, wait, so he wants to live to 105. Yeah. He wants to be able to move and be independent and do these things. He wants to be able to do a squat. He wants to have the mobility and dexterity to do the paperwork. He wants to be able to just go and not worry about whether he's going to make it or not. So there's a lot built into that little sentence. But the cool thing about what you guys have here, and again, that's why I love it so much, is this is going to give you benefits today, and it's going to give you those benefits in the future. Because a lot of people will tell me, it's, hey, Alan, you're 57, so you're talking 50 years from now. You want to be able to do these things. So it's just (laughs) hard for me to wrap my mind around doing something for 50 years from now. I want to do something that's going to stop my back pain or knee pain right now. I want to be fit now. I don't want to be fit in 50 years. But this does both. And I think that's what's so wonderful about the way you guys have approached this is you're looking at it and saying, okay, here's the thing to know how you're doing to gauge yourself. Here's a practice or a few practices that you stack together. You fit them in with what you're already doing. You can stand on one foot, close your eyes while you're brushing your teeth. Go for a minute, brushing your teeth at one foot with your eyes closed. And then the ding goes off. You switch feet the second minute. You're supposed to be brushing your teeth for two minutes. You're on your other foot for that whole time. Or like you said, putting your shoe on the old man test, socks and shoes. It's extremely hard because I've tried it. It is really, really hard. It's really hard. (laughs) Well, you know, I think you bring up a thing that, you know, I think a lot about. I mean, I think you're right. It's got to be both. 
I think very few of us are inspired by, okay, I want to be able to do these things when I'm a hundred years old. That short game and so long game far. is the game. But yeah, I think you're exactly right in terms of the short game and the long game. And one of the things I like to point out is that we are all so comfortable with this idea of setting goals either yeah. in our home lives or definitely in our businesses. Everybody is aware that you've got to save for retirement and sets financial goals around that. So I would challenge everybody to set some short-term and long-term physical goals. Because again, I think what happens to a lot of people is they turn 70, 75, and they haven't set those goals. And all of a sudden they've lost the ability to do the things they want to do, you know, again, whether that's just play with their grandchildren or go for a hike or whatever. And so there's so many things in this book that can make people feel better, move more freely right now. And I think this is like your 401k for movement when you're older, because, you know, nobody's goal is going to be, I hope I'm stuck in my lazy boy or in a skilled nursing facility when I'm 80, that goal is for zero people. So everybody wants to be able to move in some capacity and move freely now and into the future. This book is sort of the, the 401k of movement. And let me say that that is completely in line with when we come into professional organizations premier national teams, choose some big crazy organization in sports on TV. We've been there and working with them. We start with a goal and we literally work backwards into what does that look like today? What does that look like in a week? And chunk that out. It might be in three months chunks, it might be six month chunks. So Juliet really brings up this important point is no one or very few of us have actually said that. My goal is to be independent, be able to toilet and transfer my 105 then you can really work backwards and say, what does that look like? Well, it looks like I need to walk today and manage my sleep to the best of my ability. So you've nailed the idea. The other thing that I want people to understand is that these practices create buffer zones. They allow you, because as you get older, bad things are going to happen. You're going to fall. You're going to injure yourself. You may have been injured from high school soccer, whatever it is, or you may have a disease problem coming down the pathway. And so we talk about our own experiences in the book here, but understand that sometimes what looks like miraculous outcomes when people are confronted with cancer or a big surgery or trauma, it just turns out maybe they had a little bit more resilience and tolerance built into the system. And so what we're doing here is saying, hey, look, it's going to be unlikely that you get out of the next 50 years completely <laughs> unscathed without having to go to the doctor. But how you show up for that event is going to definitely impact its outcome. And that's, we're not trying to scare anyone here. Again, our focus is we think you can feel better and move better and do all the bad stuff. But it turns out these things are what is essential about being a functional, durable human. Before I let you go, I think there's going to be one big question. People are like, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Juliet Kelly. You can't write a fitness book. <laughs> And not talk about weightlifting <laughs> and running. You talked a little bit about yoga. Where does exercise fit on all of this? Well, I will start by saying not including it as one of our 10 practices was a very conscious decision, in part because we feel like everybody is fire hosed with information about particularly diet and exercise in this sort of moment in time in our fitness space. And what we realized is ultimately we are totally exercise agnostic. You'd think we wouldn't be. We owned a CrossFit gym for 17 years. You know, we've worked with elite athletes. We both have certain ways that we like to train, but one of our own evolutions over the last 10 or 15 years is becoming exercise agnostic. 
those, those of your listeners who read the book, you will see, we do pay homage to the fact that we both do love to exercise. Exercising is a huge part of our life. It's how we both probably manage our mental health. It's what we like to do. It's our hobby. We used to both be professional athletes. So yes, we are huge believers in exercise. We believe people should do it, but we really wanted to not write an exercise book. We didn't want to put a stake in the ground about what exercise is or isn't the best. And our philosophy has really become so reasonable that we are of the mind that yes, people should exercise. And, and we can should, define that as you should probably breathe hard and yeah. you should lift a weight. Yeah. You should you be should under some breathe load. Breathe hard and lift a weight. But how you do that, man, the sky's the limit because what we've seen over the years is people will do what they enjoy. And what people enjoy is wide ranging. I mean, whether that's pickleball or Zumba or CrossFit or Orange Theory or triathlons or you name it, right? When people are told to do something that they don't enjoy, they don't do it, period, end. If you don't enjoy doing it, you will not do it. And so we do think it's critical. Anyone who follows us online knows that we do exercise and we love exercising, but we really wanted to sort of stay out of that lane and say, yes, we think you should, you know, breathe hard and lift a weight. And how you do that is really up to you. Kelly, Anything to add to that? I think Supple Leopard comes out 10 years ago in a month. And if you'd asked me then, I would have been like, yes, you should have a double body weight deadlift and you should be able to write. And, <laughs> and that was 39 year old Kelly. <laughs> that was 39 year old Kelly. Kelly. What I will say is one of the things that's nice about this book is that you can actually use it as a diagnostic tool. And that if you enjoy some exercise and you think you're doing it, come in and take some of our tests and see how well your exercise regime is actually supporting your native movement. And ultimately, you know, one of the things we'd like to see is that you can hit some of these things and conjoin some of these things. If you're doing good strength conditioning, you're working on balance and you probably don't need to do lots of extra balance. You can work it in. You're working on breathing in there. But ultimately, what we've realized is watching the world expand in sort of hyper technicality, the confusion that is the internet with exercise is that that message isn't getting there. And that if we told people to exercise more and here are more COVID body weight pump shred exercises you can do in your living room with a TheraBand and a book, that message hasn't changed the range of motions or capacities of someone. So I think if everyone had a kettlebell and a jump rope or a kettlebell in their kitchen and a hill, I mean, there's an old Russian coach, I think, or he was an Eastern Bloc throws coach. And someone asked him, what should you do for cardio? And he's like, you should go run or walk a steep hill. And they were like, what if you don't have a steep hill? He's like, I don't know what to tell you. But it was that simple of an idea <laughs> Ooh, yeah. that go walk up and down the hill until you breathe hard and you feel like you've had enough. And that's a pretty elegant message. I think the fact that we have seen that you can buy bumper plates and Olympic lifting shoes and kettlebells at Kmart and at Walmart means that those tools are available to us. And as Juliet's saying, how much is enough? Well, that depends on your goals. I think what's happened is we've taken diet and exercise and made it all about, do I look good naked? Is this about body composition and ego? Not what am I training for? And I think when we come back to that goal setting that Juliet said, suddenly then we can ask, well, are you doing the kinds of training that really does make you a better runner or better at skiing or better at playing pickleball? Then that's a different conversation. But ultimately, 
what we're shouting at people is, hey, let's use this to burn calories because that's the that's the only thing that matters. And that's really the wrong conversation. So I, I asked for three of these and I usually would ask both guests. And so I'll give you the option. You guys can alternate and just give me three or you can each give me your three. It's cool. So Julia and, and Kelly, I define wellness as being the healthiest, fittest and happiest you can be. What are three strategies or tactics to get and stay well? Watch this. We're going to say the say most the important one, thing, and we haven't in talked. Unison. One, two, three, sleep. sleep. <laughs> Vital sign number three. I mean, yeah. number 10. <laughs> exactly. What would you take next, Jay, in your own kind of life around those three things? I would just say, I would say sleep and then general movement and movement throughout the day. Again, I'm a fan of exercise. I do it very regularly. But for me, I feel the best when I've added in plenty of non-exercise activity type of movement. So that's making sure I'm walking enough in the day, moving around during the day, either standing while I'm working or making sure I'm getting up and down quite a bit if I'm sitting while I'm working. So, you know, for me, it would be sleep and plenty of movement, especially in the form of non-exercise activity. And eating a vegetable. That would be my third thing. <laughs> eating a vegetable. We'll leave it there. Okay, cool, cool. Kelly and Juliet, if someone wanted to learn more about you, learn more about your book, Built to Move, and of course, the other awesome books you guys have, where would you like for me to send them? Sure. Folks can check out Built to Move at builttomove.com. You can learn more about the book. It will, of course, it is available at every bookstore and every online book retailer. You can follow us on Instagram at The Ready State and all of the other socials as well, Twitter, Facebook, um, at The Ready State. And I want to shout out to our Juliet and our amazing staff at builttomove.com that we have a 21-day follow-along challenge. It's free. You just need to put your email in. And we've got a email, video course, supplemental to the book. It'll really be useful to have the book. But we know that sometimes, hey, if I can follow along and get a little sort of nudge and some support, we can go a little bit further. So we've created a whole back end gorgeous uh, little sort of experiential platform that goes along with the book. And again, just go to builttomove.com. You can sign right up for it. And there's a 20-day sort of follow along challenge that, that mirrors the book. You'll get some daily reminders and some videos of us showing you what it actually looks like. That's an awesome resource. So go, yeah, go check that out. You can go to 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 584, and I'll be sure to have the link there. Kelly, Juliet, thank you so much for being a part of 40 Plus Fitness. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Welcome back, Raz. Hey, Alan. I probably could have listened to you guys chat for probably another hour. There was a lot you guys talked about with the book Built to Move. I don't even know where to start. There was a lot to go over. Yeah. The interesting thing is Jill from last week, Kelly and Juliet, and then another interview that's going to be coming up in a few weeks, Katie Bowman. They're mm -hmm. all movement specialists. That's what mm -hmm. they do. You know, they're into how the body moves, how to breathe, how, how to optimize the movement of your body. They do work with extreme athletes. They work with normal everyday people. And it's really what it's all about is using the human body the way it was designed to be used. And so a lot of times we talk about performance and you might think, well, I'm not an athlete. I'm not trying to make the Olympics or NFL team or this True. or that. 
But what you are is an athlete from the perspective of the movement patterns that you need to do, mm-hmm. you know, to be who you need to be. That could be a caretaker. So your ability to help someone get up off the floor when they fall, your ability to get yourself up off the floor when you fall, your ability to play with your grandchildren, your ability to keep up with them, your ability to do all these different things. Mm -hmm. And all of them are fundamentally built around your ability to move. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people get into their 40s and 50s. And they start talking about this ache and that pain and this joint, I can't. And, you know, <laughs> yes. the doctor said don't. And the only reason doctor's telling you don't is because he knows or she knows that it's going to hurt. Mm-hmm. And he and she knows maybe you're just not going to do anything to improve your performance. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it's always going to hurt. Right. We create these situations, but if we start moving our body more and we start Mm -hmm. moving it the right ways and we start paying attention to how our body was designed to move, Mm -hmm. then it just makes it a lot easier. I get on the floor all the time to pet my dogs. Oh, good. When I have grandchildren, that's never going to be a problem. I don't even think Mm -hmm. about it. I get on the floor, I get back up and I can keep doing that. And if Mm -hmm. I wanted to do a cardio workout in my home, that's exactly what I would do. Mm-hmm. I'll get on the floor and get back up, get on the floor, get back up. Try mm-hmm. doing that for about three minutes. That's a workout. It would be. Yeah. Okay. But just try sitting on the floor and mm-hmm. you'll find you squirm a bit, move a bit. You know, the starts watch TV with their family mm-hmm. sitting on the floor. They're not sitting on standard furniture. Katie, who we'll be talking about to in a few weeks, she's mm-hmm. even more extreme. She's conditioned herself to not even need a mattress or a pillow when she sleeps. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> which I've done. The oh last boy. time I talked to her, which is about five years ago, I did that for a while. And it will literally change the way you move, the way you mm-hmm. feel, because your body adapts and builds capacity that wasn't there. We wear padded shoes thinking that's protecting our knees. In reality, it's weakening our feet mm-hmm. and ankles. And so... When we go barefoot, it's really, really hard because our feet hurt because they're not used to being strong enough to support our body weight Mm -hmm. without that padding. And so, you know, as you start thinking about movement and particularly with their books, the Starrett's books, because he did The Supple Leopard and then there was a second volume of that and then they did Deskbound and now they have this book. This book is sort of like, I'm not going to say a step change better but it's an evolution. You know, he was originally thinking about how athletes could move and should be. And, and Mm -hmm. so it was a really good book, but it is mostly adapted to athletes. And then he did desk bound, which was more of the person who is sitting at a desk or sedentary a lot, not through choice, but just where you are. Mm -hmm. This one balances it all out and says, what can normal people do Mm -hmm. to live better? And it gives you all of it in this one book. So I love their books. I love what they do. They're amongst the best books on the market. They're always mm-hmm. going to be in my perennial favorites. And this one's no different. That's awesome. You know, one of the light bulb moments that I had listening to the interview was uh, somebody mentioned about nobody has a goal of sitting in a lazy boy for the rest of their <laughs> life. And I love that. It's so true. But let's think about that for a second. You know, my grandfather was probably in his 70s, so retired, and he loved to play golf. He did a lot of golfing, which is great. You know, he would walk or take a cart, but he'd be out there hitting the balls all the time. Well, his shoulder started paying him and I was too young. I don't know what his shoulder injury was, but then his doctor said this, you should give up golf. If it hurts when you golf, give up golf. And that's what he did. 
And it's not that he actually sat in his lazy boy for the rest of the life. I'm sure he didn't. But when you're thinking about these later stages, when you retire from work, don't you want to be active? Don't you want to go and do things and play the sports you enjoy playing or, you know, travel to the places you want to travel? So between then and and then, you know, between these ages, these decades, even you can think about, well, what can you do to maintain the range of motion or the endurance of the activity that you want to do? whether you want to do nine holes or 18 on a golf course. And it's just something that I always thought about, you know, he was in this prime of his retirement and then became more or less couldn't do the things that he loved to do. And so watching your range of motions and like they mentioned, peppering your environment with all the tools, the foam rollers and the weights or whatever you want to do, you know, if you have it near you, you're more likely to use it and get benefit from it. So, and like you getting up and down off the floor, I mean, these are all activities that will help you stay fit for task as you age with each yeah. decade. Well, and that's what I tore when my rotator cuff and I very easily could have gone to a normal doctor and the doctor would have said, well, okay, stop doing these things, you know, mm -hmm. stop lifting these heavy weights and stop doing these obstacle course races and stop moving. Mm -hmm. And that was never an option. When I went and looked for the surgeon, I found the surgeon that worked with athletes at the nice. university, I found the physical therapist that worked with athletes at a division one level school. And those were my team. You know, mm -hmm. I brought the best team for recovery for me to get back to being an athlete, if you will. That was my whole goal with the team. And I did the homework. When I went in for the surgery, I still could do just about everything except press. Mm -hmm. and we went in, okay, we're going to get the surgery done. I got the surgery done on Thursday. I was in physical therapy on mm -hmm. Monday. Wow. You That's know? awesome. And I, like I said, I had one of the best physical therapists. He worked with the football team at the local university for a while. And I went in and I said, no, I don't want to just recover. Mm -hmm. I said, I want to be back to 100% of what I was before. Let's make mm -hmm. that happen. Mm -hmm. And That's I awesome. did everything he told me to do. I did every bit of homework and I actually didn't do more than what he told me to do. So there was no rushing it, if you will, to say, mm -hmm. no, I've got to recover faster and doing more is going to be better. Mm -hmm. It was really just this seasoned approach of saying, this is what's necessary. Get it done That's and awesome. don't injure yourself further by doing something silly. That's great that you had a team that was not interested so much as fixing you and reducing the pain, but helping you prepare for continued activity. Right. You know, there's kind of a difference in perspective there. There is, there is. If I had been your grandfather and they said, you can't play golf. And I'm like, mm -hmm. bull, uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, I'm not a big, I'm not a big golfer. So no, I mean, yeah. just but realizing if, if that was something that was the, one of the most important things in my life, yeah. fix me, mm -hmm. what do we do so I can play golf? If the doctor said it, I'm like, I'm going to have to fire you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd, you're not I'd a like team to, player. <laughs> right. And I'd like to think that at least some of the doctors that I work with, you know, I, I mentioned, okay, these are my goals in life. This is what I want to achieve. And what do I need to do to get there healthily? You know, if I have been injured myself and I looked for doctors that would be willing to get me back on my feet to running and not just a sedentary lifestyle. So yeah. again. But yeah. So imagine if someone said, Rachel, you broke your foot a second time, you mm -hmm. got to stop running. Yeah, I'd laugh. Well, 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we all laugh at these things. Yeah. No. It's like, no. You need to find another it, doctor. Yeah. I'm sorry. I got to fire you. Um, yeah. Yep. <laughs> you're not a team player. You're not yeah. trying to help me. I'm going to run. You just mm -hmm. got to make it happen. And so it's just a part of this has been thinking about where you want to go. Mm -hmm. And movement is the key for all of it. And because you're not, I mean, who doesn't like sitting in a lazy boy watching movies? But <laughs> yeah, well, once in a while, but not for right. the rest of but my yeah, retirement. That's, that's not where I want to live for 40 years. And so it's just kind of one of those things of saying, no, get yourself moving the right way. And then books like this are going to start you in a very good way. They're going to teach you the right way and very simple, easy to start. And I mm -hmm. think that's, you know, one of the values here is it's not like you got to be working out seven days a week. They're not even talking about that. Exercise is the sort of the cherry on top of this thing mm -hmm. that, you know, we're not even talking about exercise. We're just talking about general day-to-day -day movements, patterns mm -hmm. that you should be able to do yeah. safely and without pain. That's so and important. If and if you're doing it right, you're less likely to injure yourself and feel pain. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's part that was of it too. Awesome. Fun interview. All right. Well, I'll talk to you next week. Sure. Take care. You too. Next time on the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we discuss functional fitness and how to make it happen so you are fit for task your whole life through. Until then, have a happy and healthy week.